We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today's Monday, August the 24th, 2020. On today's show, it's prediction time, baby. Part one, I give my game-by-game predictions for the 2020 football season. I'll also talk. I'll break the games down into wins, toss-ups, and losses. I'll give my most important three-game stretch of the season, the most likely big upset, the most important game of the season as well. And like I said, game-by-game predictions. I'll go through each of the Gamecocks' first five games, give my predictions, tell you where I think South Carolina will stand at the bye week. We are getting into the predictions for South Carolina's 2020 football season. Also, tons to get into as far as news and notes are concerned, including Gunnar Stockton, five-star quarterback prospect out of Tucker, Georgia. Gunnar Stockton commits to the Gamecocks. I'll break that down, talk about what it means, what the outlook is for South Carolina to hold on to him and get him on campus. Also, some other things that include new attendance plans. I'll give my updated thoughts on Marshawn Lloyd as well. Have a ton of listener questions and voicemails to get into as well. You guys did a really good job. You're really interactive. Tons of voicemails, hearing your feedback, hearing your thoughts on the 2020 football season, giving your predictions. I'll air those. And we also have a fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks running back Caleb Kinlaw, who was at South Carolina from 2017 and 2019, he joins the show to talk about his unique path to South Carolina and also just talked about his career playing for Will Muschamp, his outlook for Gamecocks football heading in this 2020 football season and beyond. Much, much more tons to get into today on a packed Monday show, Monday episode of the Spurs Up show. And it's all brought to you. Sound the alarms. New sponsor alert. It's all brought to you by our friends over at MyBookie. Guys, it's summertime. And at MyBookie, that can only mean one thing. It's winning season, guys. Sports are picking up. Sports are coming back. We already know what's going on right now with the MLB. MLB playoffs will be here. NBA playoffs are going on. NHL playoffs. College football is going to come back. We're going to have the NFL. Guys, it's winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contests, survivor, and more. At my bookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. Like I said, guys, you can bet NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, UFC, College football and NFL are going to be here before you know it. The craziest sports summer and really sports time of your lifetime, it's here. Listen, guys, it's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. It's as easy as that. Invest in your intuition. Select from hundreds of future bets, or you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big brain of yours to good use. Go to MyBookie.ag. Again, that's MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code GAMECOCKS. It's very simple. MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code Gamecocks and double your first deposit. Guys, new players get up to $1,000 in free play. What that means, you go to mybookie.ag, 
you use promo code Gamecocks, whatever you put in, they're going to match your first deposit. So guess what? You put $200 in, they're going to give you $200 to play with. You put $500 in, they're going to give you another $500. You put $1,000 in, up to $1,000, they're going to match that initial, initial deposit. God, it, it's, they're literally giving you free money. It's designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Thousands of cross-sport wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Again, that's mybookie.ag, promo code Gamecocks. Your winning season begins today only at mybookie. Let's get it. Happy Monday. I'm Chris Phillips, Joseph Spurs Up Show as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. I am fired up here on a Monday. Guys, one of the things that not just makes sports, but I think really makes college football great, right? One thing that really makes college football stand out from the rest, and maybe you could just say makes football stand out from the rest as well, giving predictions, giving picks. I mean, listen, how much? How many of us, probably all of us listening to this, we love waking up on a Saturday morning, tuning into college game day. I'm always sitting on the edge of my seat. Who's Kirk picking? Who's Lee picking? Who are they going against? You know, you, you, when you have college game day and you have the picks and, you know, it's funny, you watch to see who they're going to pick in your game and you're really happy and you're hyped up if they pick your team to win and you want to stick it to them if they pick your team to lose. So giving predictions, giving picks is what makes college football, in my opinion, so awesome because we all love to give our predictions. We all love to give our picks. So, guys, I am fired up because we are doing that here today and Thursday. I'm giving my game-by-game predictions, as you guys all know. Part one today, I did this last year. It did very well. I'm really excited. You guys are going to know exactly how I think the 2020 season is going to unfold for South Carolina. So we've got a lot to get into. Before we do, a couple of housekeeping items. As always, guys, if you haven't done so, rate the show, leave five stars, whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever platform you're listening on, be sure to go leave five stars, leave your thoughts, leave your feedback. We're four reviews away. We're at 296 reviews, guys. Let's get to 300. Let's get to 300. We're four reviews away. If you have not left a review, please take five seconds out of your day. Just go leave five stars. You don't even have to write anything, but if you feel so compelled, you can. Hey, if you got feedback, thoughts, things you like, things you don't like, things that you think could make the show better, whatever, I don't care. That's a great place to do it. That's a great place to voice your opinion. So again, go rate the show, leave five stars. And also, if you're not subscribed, make sure you hammer that subscribe button because listen, as we get closer to the season, what are we just now 33 days away? 33 days away. We're a month away from kickoff, guys. When we get back in the season, daily podcasts are going to be back. You're going to want to be sure you are subscribed. You're going to want to be subscribed so you get those daily notifications when the show drops. So, again, rate and subscribe if you have not, and I really do appreciate those that have already done so. Also, like I mentioned at the top of the show, you guys are probably seeing it on your iTunes app or Google Play or whatever, whatever platform you're listening on. You're seeing the logo has been updated. 
the podcast logo, I will, I will say, the podcast art, whatever you want to call it, that's been updated. But the bottom line is we have a new sponsor, the guys over at MyBookie, so, so excited for this, so happy to strike this deal up. Uh, and it's the first of many. we got a couple rolling as well. got a couple that should roll in by the end of – or probably the end of September, if you will, as we slowly get back to normalcy uh, with small businesses and stuff like that. So new sponsor, MyBookie.ag. Very, very, very excited. And like I said, guys, if you are going to gamble – because I know a lot of you probably do. Hey, even if you already got an active book, go to mybookie.ag, use promo code GAMECOX. They're going to match your first deposit. It's, it's a no-brainer. Open an account. Do yourself that favor. Open an account. Um, also, another quick thing. The NCAA season simulation streams are still going on. South Carolina is 3-1, and one, guys. How are they 3-1? and one? I have no idea, personally, but they are 3-1. and one. We just beat Auburn on Friday, which is crazy. We'll be taking on LSU tonight. If you're not tuning into them, they're going on via Twitter and Periscope. Hey, they're a lot of fun. It's, it's a great way to kill time in the offseason. So, they're a lot of fun. South Carolina's season simulation are 3-1 and one right now, and I pray the season goes that way. I think I'm setting some very unfairly high expectations, but, hey, whatever. It's all in the fun. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a good omen. Um, and also, Rowdy Rooster Radio this week returns Monday through Friday, 5-6. to six. Really appreciate appreciate you guys that have called in, made that interactive. It has been a blast. So, again, Rowdy Rooster Radio every day this week, Monday through Friday, 5 to 6. Just one hour every single day, Monday through Friday, 5 to 6. All right, let's dive into it. Like I said, guys, I'm so pumped. I'm so excited. Anytime we get to give predictions, and I get to give my official predictions for the season, it's always very, very, very exciting I think it's fun to project and think about maybe what the promise of the future holds or whatever it might be. So without further ado, let's jump into it. I want to start first with a question. A question. Because I have written here in my notes, before I even get into any of the games and get to any of the other things I'm going to talk about, what are the expectations for 2020 and how does the pandemic affect Will Muschamp's job status and expectations? Listen, Marshawn Lloyd out for the season. We get that, which is terrible. It happened Thursday morning or Thursday around lunch, I would say, after the podcast dropped. So, obviously, I did not talk about this on Thursday. I, I did put out a clip and mention it because, I listen, I felt like I had to. I mean, that's something you can't ignore. Um, so, that's, that's a big blow. But what are the expectations for 2020? Like I said, before I even get into my predictions, what should we expect, be expecting? And I've said this all offseason, and I'll keep it short and sweet, and I'll say it again. I think going 500, even with this schedule, even with the madness that is the pandemic, I think with this roster, the talent you have on this roster, I think going 500 or better should be the minimum expectation for South Carolina. We all know my thoughts on Will Muschamp. We we all know. I I don't have to go reiterate that. We all know my thoughts on Will Muschamp. I have pretty much come to accept, no matter what happens this season, Will Muschamp will return as Gamecocks head coach in 2021. I, I just, with the madness of the pandemic, the financial hit that the school is certainly taking, I would be really surprised if they, you know, paid that $13 million buyout, if they made that move, because then you've got to hire another head coach. You've got to pay him too. Um, I, I'd be shocked. I'd be utterly shocked if they made that move. So fans, people that are on, you know, that, that agree with me, even that disagree with me, if you're wondering, the minimum expectations I think should be five and five at least, but I think the pandemic does affect Will Muschamp's job status and expectations. And I do believe that he'll be back next year. I, I, unless South Carolina, I would say, probably goes two and eight or worse 
then I think we could see some change. And if the, if the games are bad, if they're blowouts, whatever, I think there will certainly be pressure to make the change. But I think he's probably back either way. I think he's probably back. But I, I think, guys, five and five or better should be the expectation. There is enough talent on this roster to go 500, in my opinion. Will they? I'm about to tell you. Give my predictions. Let's first, before we go game by game, before we dive into it, like I said in the beginning, I'm going to break these games down. Wins, toss-ups, and losses. Okay? So I'm going to go down the list here. When I look at this schedule, when I look at this schedule, and I'm sure you all have it pulled up, but in case you somehow forgot, I'm going to go down the schedule real quick. Versus Tennessee, at Florida, at Vandy, versus Auburn, at LSU, bye week. Versus Texas A&M at Ole Miss, versus Mizzou, versus Georgia at Kentucky. This is how I break those games down. Off the jump, my wins are Vandy and Mizzou. And those are the only two games you're probably wondering. You're probably asking yourself, Chris, there's no more sure wins for you on the schedule? I don't think so. There's not another game on the schedule that I would look at and say, that one's in the bag. And even, I'll be honest with you guys, some of you will hate to hear this, even Mizzou scares me because it's late in the season. One of the things I loved about the old schedule was we got Mizzou early. Listen, they're going through a new coaching change. Eli Drinkwitz comes in. They're replacing a lot. They're breaking in a new quarterback. But it kind of scares me playing them late because, listen, Eli Drinkwitz beat South Carolina with Appalachian State's talent last year. What's he going to do with Missouri's? And, again, you play them so late in the season – you know, you play them the third to last week of the season. By that point, you're going to be the team. You know, you, you are who you are at that point. Yeah, Everybody's going to know everything about everybody. You're going to have your identity figured out. You're going to be who you're going to be for the 2020 season, if that makes sense. <clears throat> but with that being said, I think the game being at home, I think Missouri has a lot more question marks than South Carolina. I'm going to put that one in the win column. So Vanderbilt and Missouri, those are my two games that are in the win column. I'm going to go – I'm going to skip toss-ups. I'll come back to toss-ups. I'm going to go to losses, games that I think South Carolina, right now the odds are pretty damn good they're going to lose the game. Games that I I don't have a ton of faith in, a ton of hope necessarily. <clears throat> games that I'm going – I'm chalking it up as a loss. And these goes as follows. Again, Vandy and Mizzou wins. The losses, Georgia versus Georgia at LSU – at Florida, and one last one. That's three. My fourth one, versus Texas A&M. And I know a lot of people will have a lot of different opinions about those games that I just listed. Because, listen, you beat Georgia last year. LSU lost a ton. In the swamp against Florida. Hey, South Carolina's played Florida tough. They've beaten them. I mean, <clears throat> you could argue they should have beat them last year if the, if the refs – let's not even get in that game. <laughs> if the refs don't screw you. You know, you had a good chance. You had them on the ropes going to the fourth quarter. And then Texas A&M is a game that you've had some – a team that you've had close games with. Let me go into depth with these. My four losses, again, Georgia, LSU, at Florida, A&M. Georgia, listen, you got the big upset win last year. You had – you know, whatever. You went to Athens. You did the unthinkable. Georgia will be on a mission this year. With Jamie Newman, JT Daniels, they probably have the best defense in the entire country. And you play them the second to last week of the year. Georgia's still Georgia. They're still one of the best teams in the country. They're going to compete for a national title, not just an SEC title. So, 
I think Georgia will come into Willie B looking for revenge. And again, it's not like you can catch them napping in the middle of the season. It's the second to last game. That game's going to be really important, you know what I mean, for the SEC East. Because I think it will be Georgia and Florida right there battling it out. So I think Georgia, I'm chalking that as an L. I think Georgia will come into Willie B and get revenge. And again, I'm not trying to give my, my picks early, but I guess I am really because I'm saying these are losses. But anyways, Georgia's an L. LSU is still LSU. I know they lost a lot, but they're extremely talented. I, I don't think South Carolina's there. That's an L. At Florida, I know a lot of people will be surprised, like, will will debate these last two. And, and I can listen, I can hear I, I hear out your argument on these at Florida and AM. I think Florida, even though South Carolina fans love to trash Florida, they love to trash Kyle Trask. Florida's a good team. I mean, you can you can not admit that. You could fight that all you want. Florida's a good team. Okay. Florida's a really good team. And then Texas A&M. Again, I know a lot of fans are like, what do you mean, Chris? That's a, that game has been so close every year outside of last year, and that should be a toss-up. I'm just kind of in the feeling that until we beat a and I'm listing this as a loss. Until you do it, I almost don't believe it can be done. How good will A&M be? I don't know if they'll quite meet the preseason expectations everybody's saying, but they still have plenty of talent in their roster. They still have Jimbo Fisher as their head coach. I know people think Kellen Mond's overrated, and I'm not saying he isn't a little overrated. I still think he's a really good quarterback, though. I still think he's, listen, the most veteran quarterback in the SEC. And the Gamecocks have just never had an answer for A&M. So until they do, I'm putting this one in the loss column. Okay, so you have your losses down. Right now we have two wins that I have in the win bucket, four in the loss bucket. So now that means swing games, and I think I'm not telling you guys any breaking news, Swing games, the toss-ups in this season are going to be massively, massively important. And my toss-ups are as follows. Tennessee at home week one, Auburn at home at Kentucky and at Ole Miss. It's going to come down to those swing games. If you're going to have the type of season you want to have, those swing games, again, they're of massive importance. I'm not breaking news to anybody. Tennessee week one for sure. There's a lot of questions. I'm about to dive into that game, what I think was going to happen. A lot of questions for South Carolina, breaking a new offense. Tennessee's got questions at the quarterback position. I think that's a coin flip type of game. Auburn at home. Now, this might surprise some people. I think this will be a good opportunity for South Carolina to pull an upset. And, again, I'll get into that in just a second. But I think Auburn at home is a toss-up. I think – listen, Auburn's one of those teams that are really talented. Gus Malzahn's a pretty good coach. But they don't come off to me as world beaters. You know what I mean? They, they don't come off to me as world. So I think that's one that could be a toss-up. And I think a lot of people are going to be surprised, maybe not necessarily with that Kentucky, but at Ole Miss, I have as a toss-up as well. I just, the Lane Train, Lane Kiffin, going to Oxford. Listen, I don't think Ole Miss is going to be very good, but this feels like one of those trap games. It feels like one of those weird trap games. So I'm throwing it in the toss-up category right now. It was very close to being in the win category, but I'm throwing it in the toss-up category. And then, I mean, I don't think I have to explain at Kentucky. I thought about this a lot this offseason. Dude, go back and look at the history. Even when South Carolina was beating Kentucky every year, South Carolina has never played well in Lexington, ever. They've never played well. Never played well. And so a lot can change because that game is the last game of the season. But I think if Kentucky has the team, the type of year they think they're going to have and most, most prognosticators think they're going to have, 
Kentucky's probably going to be favored over you. I mean, let, let's just face it. At least right now, we can say in the preseason, Kentucky would certainly be the favorite, no doubt. So that's got to go in the toss-up bucket as well. So again, my wins, Vandy and Mizzou. My losses, UGA, LSU at Florida A&M, which means the toss-ups are of utter importance. Tennessee, Auburn at Kentucky at Ole Miss, massively important. Let's dive into the most important three-game stretch of the 2020 season, what I think is the most important game, most important three-game stretch of the 2020 season. And I went back and forth on this because, listen, you know, last year it was so easy. I think it was like Georgia, Tennessee – or no, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee. That was my most important three-game stretch because I really felt like, hey, that's going to kind of tell you where you are as a program as far as the SEC East hierarchy is concerned. And ironically enough, you beat Georgia, but you lose to Florida and Tennessee. Who'd have thought? Um, But there's not really a three-game stretch on this schedule that really stands out to me more than the rest. So I went kind of back and forth on it. Um, And I think it's because the 10-game SEC schedule, I mean, listen, they're they're all big. They're all important. Everybody's playing a tough schedule. You know, so, I mean, there's a ton of them. There's actually just a ton of answers. That's really the problem with this. There's a ton of answers of what could be the most important three-game stretch. But this is going to kind of bleed into my most important game of the 2020 season as well. Because I think, honestly, the most important three-game stretch is the first three. Tennessee at home, at Florida, at Vandy. To have the type of season that you want to have, you've got to find a way to come out of that three-game stretch two and one. You have to. You have to. You've got to find a way to beat either Tennessee or Florida. Because, listen, again, I'm putting Vandy in the win column. All due respect to the doors. I know you have to go to Nashville. They're not going to be very good. (laughs) Vandy's not going to be very good. If we lose to Vandy, we have much bigger problems to address than than I thought. But you've got to find a way to come out of that three-game stretch two and one. I I just think because – this is my reasoning, too. After that first three-game stretch, you go into a brutal three-game stretch against – Auburn, LSU, A&M. And then the schedule kind of softens back up with Ole Miss and Missouri. So listen, you're already staring three losses in a row with your second third of games, right? Auburn, LSU, and A&M. You're already staring maybe going 0-3 in that three-game stretch. So it's of utter importance. It's of utmost importance to get off to a good start. I just think you're going to have to. You got to get off to a good start this year. So give me that first three, three three-game stretch. Tennessee, Florida at Vandy, my most important three-game stretch. Most likely big upset. Listen, who doesn't love a good upset? We all love love to talk upsets. South Carolina got a big one last year on the road in Athens. My most likely big upset win for South Carolina. I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities for it. And when I say big upset win, like, I know I was talking about Auburn. Like, I, I don't think, though, that's going to be like South Carolina. I don't know that South Carolina will be a double-digit underdog. Maybe they will be. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't think they'll be a double-digit underdog, though. When I think of a big upset, I'm thinking like kind of like Georgia was last year. So my most likely big upset, and this might shock some people because I have them in the loss column, but at LSU, at LSU, I think could be like South Carolina's Georgia game last year. Listen, LSU is still extremely talented. They got talent all over the field. Even with losing that, what they lose, like 14 guys in the draft, like something crazy. Basically, all of their starters went to the league. Even with that, though, even, even, even with that said, I, 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 they're loaded. They're loaded with talent. But 
listen, you play them week five. I know it's at their place, but hey, home field advantage is not going to be the same this year. I think we can all admit that. If you can catch them at like a, I think this will probably be like a noon game. I don't know. I could just see it. I could see it being another another Georgia. I could see it being that type of game. So, give me at LSU for the most likely big upset of the 2020 season. Moving into the most important game of the 2020 season. What do I think is the most important game for South Carolina this year? The game that will basically shape the way the season goes. And I asked you guys this question on social media, and you did not disappoint. Tons of feedback, tons of comments. I loved all you guys that said the next one, all of them. I mean, right, I get it. (laughs) We get it. But I think without a doubt, basically everyone agrees with me on this. I think we're all in agreement. And you look on Twitter as well. I threw up a poll. I said, what's the most important game of the 2020 season? Let's see. Let's, Let's pull up the poll. Here we go. Yep, final results. 77% of you picked this game. I I don't think it's any secret. The most important game of the 2020 season, in my opinion, is the opener against Tennessee. The opener against Tennessee is massive. Massive. Huge game. I think it's a big game for a lot of different reasons, too. Listen, you're coming off four and eight. You got to wash that nasty taste out of your mouth. I think it's going to set the tone for what type of season you're going to have. And I, I think it's a big game for both programs in the sense of you look at it from the Tennessee side of things, and I talked about this a little bit on, a, I think, like last week or two weeks ago. You look at it from the Tennessee side of things, though. This is a program that is trying to get back to the Tennessee of old under Jeremy Pruitt. They're trying to get back to competing with Georgia and Florida for the SEC East crown. They're trying to get back to that upper echelon, if you, if you will. You know, we, it used to be the big three. It used to be Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee. And I mean, Tennessee has fallen off massively compared to those days. But they're trying to get back to that. Meanwhile, you've got a South Carolina team that's just trying to show progress. It's trying to get back to that point as well, but it's just trying to show progress in year five of Will Muschamp. I, I think that opener, listen, you, you hate to say the, se- you know, the, the season's longer than one game, right? You lose to Tennessee, season's not over by any means. But I, I just, like I said, you've got to find a way those first three games to come out of it two and one. And I think if you – I mean, if you don't beat Tennessee, I don't think that's going to happen. But that game is massive. I just really believe it's going to set the tone. You know, first game with Mike Bobo is OC. Again, I know home field advantage isn't the same, but you do get them at home in Columbia. Probably going to be a night game or a primetime game because you look at the slate of games. Maybe Auburn and Kentucky is a better game, but I, I think it's one of the best, if not the best games of that opening weekend. And I just think it's going to set the tone for the 2020 season. I I really, really do. I really do. And, again, we talked about earlier, the toss-up games are going to be so important for this team. Like, winning those games are going to be so important for this season. To have the type of season fans want to have and the the type of season that this program really needs to have to show real progress in year five of Will Muschamp, this is one of those games you have to win. It's one of those games you simply put just have to win. So let's dive into the meat of this thing. Game-by-game predictions. Now that I've gone through all the other stuff. Game-by-game predictions. Part one now. So we're just going through the first five weeks. Tennessee at Florida at Vandy, Auburn at LSU. We're going through those games. Okay? Let's go ahead and dive into it. Gamecocks opening the season against Tennessee. South Carolina had had a lot of success. Will Muschamp was undefeated against Tennessee until last year. 
We all know how that one played out. South Carolina went on the road to Knoxville, got the, got, got the butts kicked, really in the second half of that game. You got outscored 24 to nothing in the second half. Um, and I think it, it really started what we saw, the, the, the skid. It really started a bad skid at the end of the year. But anyways, you get them at home to open the season. I've already talked about how important of a game that is. I'll be honest with you guys. Before the Marshawn Lloyd injury, I was leaning a little bit differently on this game. Listen, I think it's a coin flip game either way. I really do. No matter who wins this ball game, I think it's a coin flip game either way. But when you take a look at the two teams, listen, Tennessee is an imperfect football team. There's no question. There's no question. I don't think there's some juggernaut. But when I take a look at this game, who has more question marks coming into this game? South Carolina or Tennessee? Listen, I, I know Tennessee has got questions at the quarterback position. I think Jarrett Garantano will be the guy. I think Jeremy Pruitt is developing a, a, a solid program there. I think they do have talent on that roster for sure. Listen, do they beat anybody, you know, of real significance to close the season? No, but the, odd, the, the, the facts still stand. Tennessee is coming off a high, and South Carolina is coming off a low last year. Meanwhile, the Gamecocks. Heck, we don't even know who the starting quarterback is going to be. But who are you going to throw it to outside of Shy Smith? Who's going to be the starting running back now? There's questions all over the offense. And I think to ask South Carolina's offense to go out there and be running, you know, running like a well-oiled machine week one, I just don't see it. I've got the Tennessee Volunteers coming to Williams-Brice Stadium and getting the win week one. I got Tennessee 23, South Carolina 17. Again, a coin flip game. I think it can go either way, but I think it's going to be that type of ball game. But I got Tennessee getting the win 23-17, to South Carolina dropping the season opener, falling to 0-1. Let's move to game two at Florida. So South Carolina 0-1 on the road to Gainesville. Like I said, it makes it a must win. You've got to find a way to start 2-1. Long story short, I don't think South Carolina will do that. You're going to notice a trend, by the way, and it's not necessarily a great trend. It's not a positive trend. It's not a trend that I'm happy about. I'm just going to go ahead and say, I think South Carolina's offense is going to struggle. I think they're going to struggle, especially early. You know, I put up the poll. Again, I'm getting kind of off track here, but I put up the poll. Do you think South Carolina's offense will average over or under 20 points per game this season? I think they're going to be right at that number, and I would take the under gun to head. So, again, with that being said, week two, I do not think South Carolina will go into games and get the win. Listen, I think Florida's on a mission. I think Dan Mullen is building a very nice program down there. They're going to challenge Georgia for the East. I've got Florida getting the win in this than 31-14. to 14. I, I just don't think offensively, again, you're going to be there. I'm really high on South Carolina's defense, but I think Florida is the real deal. Even though people love to – Talk shit on Kyle Trask and talk shit on Florida. Florida's a good team. Florida's a good football team. So I've got them getting the win 31-14, to 14, South Carolina falling to 0-2, which, again, brutal start, tough start. Would be a tough start. You get some relief week three. Let's go to week three at Vanderbilt. Again, long story short in this one, I think the Gamecocks finally bounce back, have something to feel good about. It's crazy. You've beaten Vanderbilt, what is it, 11 years in a row? 12 years? Something like that? South Carolina is going to eventually lose to Vandy. There is no question. Nothing lasts forever. Heck, even Kentucky beat Florida, right? What was that streak, like 22 years or something like that? It was crazy. It's insane. It had been forever. South Carolina is eventually going to lose to Vandy again. 
I don't think it's going to be this year. Vandy's not a good team. I mean, you see their over-under win total set at one and a half by Vegas. Probably going to go under. They're just not a good team. Vandy might lose every game. I think South Carolina's defense will flex its muscles in this game. And I think South Carolina's offense, we finally see it get some juice, get, get, get going a little bit. So I think South Carolina goes to Nashville, takes care of business. I've got South Carolina getting their first win of the season in Nashville, winning by a final score of South Carolina 27, Vanderbilt 7. So by far the Gamecocks' best offensive output to, the, to this point early in the 2020 season. So South Carolina now sitting at 1-2. and two. Okay, sitting at 1-2, and two, which brings us into a pivotal week four matchup against the Auburn Tigers, which, like I told you guys, I have in the toss-up category. I think this will be a much better game than people will probably give it credit for right now off the jump. I think South Carolina will battle Auburn at home. I think they will battle Auburn to the final whistle. Auburn, a team South Carolina's never beaten as a member of the SEC. The last time they beat them was 1933. None of us were alive then. <laughs> no doubt. Um, I think South Carolina will battle Auburn to the very end. I think the Gamecocks may have the lead late in the fourth quarter. But I think Gus Malzahn and Bo Nix are going to do just enough, just enough to get the win. I've got Auburn barely edging out South Carolina, 17-16 to at Williams-Brice. So a heartbreaker. Again, I think it's a toss-up. I think South Carolina could beat Auburn. But I'm going to pick Auburn to win it. 17-16, to the final for me. I think Auburn escapes with a W which would move South Carolina to one and three. Again, we talked about it before. The front half of this schedule is a gauntlet. Many teams, many teams would struggle with this schedule. But South Carolina moves to one and four. Week five now at LSU, like I said, most likely big upset. I think this could be South Carolina's Georgia this year. I think it could be that type of game, but I'm not predicting it. <laughs> I'm just not, not going to be that bold. I'm not predicting it. I think LSU, despite losing so much talent, despite, um, you know, despite having to replace all those guys, bro, they're still LSU. They're still extremely talented. They got talent all over the field. This is week five, too. I mean, listen, I think it is early enough in the season where maybe they won't have it fully figured out. But I just, again, I think South Carolina is going to struggle offensively. I think LSU is still really, really good. So more so give the credit to LSU than – take anything away from South Carolina. I think LSU gets the win, though, and I think it's not really that close. I got LSU winning 35-13 to 13 over South Carolina. Like I said, guys, you can see the trend. I don't think South Carolina is going to perform very well offensively. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Mike Bobo's crew goes out there and lights it up. I really do. But, um, again, highest total offensive output, 27 points. And the other game, 17, 14, 16, and 13. So, again, Getting into the bye week. That is part one. That is my first half of the season. That's part one of my season predictions, game by game season predictions. I've got South Carolina one and four. One and four through the first five games. Which, you know, I, I, I would love some feedback right now, but obviously you guys aren't on. Nobody's calling in. What would be your thoughts at the bye week? Because, listen, I think in a normal year, I think you could justify firing Will Muschamp at the bye week. I really do. I think you could justify it. But thought, I mean, what would you think at the bye week? One in four through the first five games. I mean, on one hand, 
And again, I think that's what makes that Tennessee game so important because it is a gauntlet, dude. At Florida, Auburn, and at LSU, those are three really tough football games. Three really tough games. Again, you get Vandy in there, cool, but that's three really tough games. I mean, South Carolina could have a pretty decent team and still lose all three of those games. But at one and four, and again, it's going to really depend on how South kind of looks for sure. But I, I just wonder, what would the pulse of the fan base be like? Would, if this is how it plays out, would we possibly see changes on the offense? Would we see a quarterback change maybe? You know, I, I think that South – I'm listen, I'm high on South Carolina's defense. Some of you may be asking, Chris, dang, you got Florida scoring 31, you got Auburn scoring 35, even Tennessee scoring 23. Listen, I am high on South Carolina's defense. I really am. But I just think with the offensive struggles, South Carolina's defense is going to be put in tough positions once again. I, I really believe – I just – I am not high on South Carolina's offense at all. And listen, I'm going to go through and start my season preview series next week. We're going to talk offense. We're going to talk defense. We're going to talk special teams. I know I broke down the position units. Now we're going to break down the units as a whole. And I'll give more of my thoughts then next week. But I'm, just, I'm not high on South Carolina's offense. And listen, my biggest thing is this. Adam Prentice said it over the weekend. I was going to get into this in just a second. Adam Prentice said over the weekend what type of offense Mike Bobo wants to run. And if you guys missed that quote, here it is. Adam Prentice said, quote, very physical, explosive offense. Run heavy, but we're also going to take shots down the field, and we like to do a little bit of everything. Run heavy is what stands out to me in that. Even if South Carolina is clicking on all cylinders offensively, God forbid, early in the season, let's say they just have the best fall camp they've ever had and they figured out from game one, this still isn't going to be some high-flying offense. It's not going to be an offense that puts up 40 a game. And again, there's going to be an adjustment period. Like There's going to be an adjustment period, no question. Every, you know, losing spring practice hurt. I think a team like Georgia as well that's going to a new offense. Hey, they're going to have an adjustment period too. Thankfully, the early for them, the early part of their schedule is much more forgiving than South Carolina's. Because listen, Florida, elite defense. Auburn, good defense. LSU, elite defense. Talent all over the field. So, again, would love to hear you guys' thoughts on that. Obviously, again, I'm going to be posting this throughout the day, throughout the week. But I've got one and four through the first five games. I, I just, you know, I, unfortunately, that's how I think it's going to shake out. I, I just, you know, listen, I think Auburn's – there's plenty of opportunity on this schedule. That's something I've already talked about. There's plenty of opportunity on this schedule. But to pick it? To pick it off the jump, I, I just think it all comes back to offensively. There are so many question marks. And then you lose Marshawn Lloyd for the season. You lose Marshawn, the guy that I was counting on, like the guy that I thought was going to be the focal point of the offense. Now, now you're left looking around like, hey, who's our guy? Who's our go-to dude? We need a big first down. We need a score. We need whatever. We need a spark. Who is that guy? Because I know a lot of you say, oh, well, what about Shai Smith? I think Shai Smith's going to be a nice player, but has he proven he's that game-breaking type of player? And listen, with the question mark South Carolina has at wide receiver, defenses are going to be locked in on Shai Smith. Like, if I'm a D coordinator, I'm doubling Shai. There's no question. Beat me with somebody else. Let's see who else you got. Does Jalen Brooks step up? Maybe. Does Xavier Leggett? Maybe. Josh Van or Trey Smith? I don't know. 
Rico Powers, who's getting a lot of love? Maybe. But they're all unproven commodities, every single one of them. They're all unproven commodities. So I think offensively, again, I think offensively South Carolina is going to struggle mightily, which is why I have them, again, one and four through the first five games. So that is part one. That is my picks for the first half of the season. Thursday, I will have part two of my game-by-game predictions, finishing off talking about the last five games, how I feel things will go, and we'll wrap it up, and you'll have my full season predictions. But I think it's a gauntlet early, man. I think it's a gauntlet early. I, I, you know, Again, there's a lot of teams out there that would struggle with, it, with this, with this five-game stretch. There's a lot of teams that would struggle with it. They really would. So, again, one and four through the first five games. Let's get into our news and notes really quickly, and I want to get into your listener questions and voicemails because you guys, you guys also have thoughts on what's going to happen this season. So I'm really, really excited to air those uh, really quickly. Again, Marshawn Lloyd out for the 2020 season. We all know that. I didn't get to talk about it on the podcast last week, but like I said, I did put out a clip on social media. <sighs> just devastating. I mean, there's just no other way to put it, man. It's just, it's just devastating. It's devastating. I hate it for the kid. I know, you know, again, we had Marshawn on the show way back in December and just an awesome guy, an awesome kid, a guy that I know was looking forward to contributing at South Carolina. I still think he's going to have a great career. I do. Um, you know, the NCAA is allowing people to come back next year and this year not count against their eligibility, which I think is really intriguing and kind of worth its own head storyline. I mean, that's something that could really, really impact South Carolina. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think Marshawn Lloyd's going to have a great career. It's just a damn shame. And a non-contact injury. I, you just – a damn shame so and, and unfortunately it hurts South Carolina in the process <laughs> so again we wish Marshawn the best we wish him a speedy successful recovery cannot wait to see him on the field for South Carolina other massive massive news from the last few days Gunnar Stockton 2022 five-star quarterback out of Tucker Georgia commits to South Carolina isn't is it not insane guys South Carolina has never signed a five-star quarterback. I find that to be – that's crazy. Because, listen, even with the lack of history and tradition, I mean, South Carolina's had plenty of great players. I mean, they've had a Heisman Trophy winner. They've had plenty of great players. They've had a lot of great quarterbacks, a lot of really, really good quarterbacks. So, to think that I – mean, South Carolina don't think it's ever even had one committed, <laughs> which is nuts, which is nuts. But Gunnar Stott and committing I – mean, listen, it's huge. It, it, it's, it's a huge thing. Um, what a start the 2022 class because listen great players want to play with great players and you've already seen Gunnar Stott and reaching out to guys recruiting other guys recruiting receivers whatever oh it, it's certainly it, it's it's huge getting him but also the other guys you're gonna get because of a pickup like a Gunnar Stott and again great players want to play with great players all of a sudden you know you see Zach Pickens you see Jordan Birch you see Gunnar Stott and you're like hey that seems like the cool place to go and we're going to win some games because we're going to be good because all of our players are good. So it's massive for the 2022 class. The one thing I'll say is this. Listen, South Carolina is in great standing with this kid because of the relationships with the Bobo family and Connor Shaw and his brother coaching him in Tucker, Georgia. But I want to say this because I've seen this a lot. I've seen this a lot on social media that – Oh my God! You know, no matter what happens, you 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 can't get rid of Muschamp or Bobo or whatever because oh, we we have this kid committed for the 2022. Oh, we have this, we can't lose this five star quarterback. If you let them go, he's going to decommit. Listen, I'm I'm ecstatic. The kid is committed. Ecstatic. 
and a lot can change, but he right now he's committed to South Carolina. I'm ecstatic. But one player, one player is not worth keeping a bad head coach. It's not. It's not worth it. You know, I, I would like to think, even if Will Muschamp is not the head coach in 2022, which I'd be sort of surprised if he is, I'd like to think even if Will Muschamp's not the head coach, having that relationship with Connor Shaw, listen, if Will Muschamp's gone, the University of South Carolina is going to be here. It's still going to have everything to offer it had before for you. And you know, that, that would be sort of like my, my, my sales pitch to the kid. You know, if, if Will Muschamp and Mike Bobo are, are fired at some point. But the whole mentality of, oh, my God, we have to, we have to keep, no matter what happens, let's keep it all together because this one quarterback's going to come here. I mean, dude, again, as badly as I want him to come, one player is not worth keeping a bad head coach. And, again, we've talked about it before. I'm not going to go into deep detail, but Will Muschamp, great man, fantastic dude, runs a great program Sunday to Friday. Runs a great program, as good as any. But it's about winning games. If he don't win enough games this year, and if he gets next year, if he don't win, he shouldn't be the head coach. He shouldn't get the opportunity to coach Gunnar Stott. And I'll be completely honest with you guys. Hey, I'm glad he's coming here, but man, if your son is a five-star quarterback prospect, why on God's green earth would you send him to play for a Will Muschamp coach team? May, listen, maybe Mike Bobo is just is that dude, and he's going to be the savior of Will Muschamp's coaching career. But man, what quarterback has ever flourished under Will Muschamp? Can you name one? Name just one. Name just one quarterback that has exceeded expectations under Will Muschamp. So listen, I'm ecstatic the kid's coming. And like I said, maybe Mike Bobo really is that dude. Hey, that's what we're all counting on, right? Mike Bobo to be that guy, to be the answer, to really save Will Muschamp's coaching career. So maybe he's that dude. But, I mean, that's just to be blunt, to be honest. You know, if I had a son and he's a five-star quarterback, I'm like, I want to send you somewhere where you're going to score a lot of points and you're going to win a lot of games. And you have a chance to get film, go to the league, all those things that are everybody's goals that play big-time college football. But, hey, either way, end of the day, South Carolina's got him committed. But I just wanted to make that point. I don't think fans should have that attitude that, oh, my God, we are bound now because we have one commit for 2022. I mean – I just I don't I don't I don't think that logic is is good. But either way, excited, ecstatic, Gunner Stock and committee. You watch this kid's film, by the way. Uh six one one ninety six dual threat, the number one dual threat quarterback in the country. He's the real deal. I mean, and, and he's still so young. I mean, he's gonna be a junior in high school this year. He's probably gonna break every single record in the state of Georgia. And we're talking about records that are held by guys like Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm. Justin Fields. I mean, big-time dudes. So, I think he's probably the real deal. And it'd be a blessing to get this kid on campus. It'd be so awesome to get him on campus. So, either way, that was the big news over the weekend. Also, new attendance plans have been announced for South Carolina. Everybody's kind of dropping these now. What are the attendance plans? What's it going to look like? 25% capacity. 25% capacity. So, right at 20,000 fans or maybe just a little bit less are going to be expected at Williams-Brice Stadium. The big question, I talked about this on the radio show last week, how will the tickets be divided up? Listen, I don't think the casual fan is going to like to hear this. They're not going to like this, this answer. I think they're going to do exactly what Georgia did, and they're going to give them to, to their top donors for sure. I mean, listen, 
as badly as I want to go, I understand that you got to pay the bills. <laughs> I mean, South Carolina's got these shiny new facility upgrades all over Willie B. They got to get paid for somehow. So you got to make your boosters happy. The people that give the most money, you got to make them happy. Listen, if you want a ticket, go on the secondhand market. I am sure there will be people selling them, but I think that's probably how it's going to be divvied up. Now, as far as students are concerned, I have no idea, but I think that's how it's going to happen. But again, 20,000 fans, which, hey, you think back to the monsoon game, 20,000 can get just as loud as 80 when it wants to. So it's possible, but 20,000 fans. It'll be interesting to see how they do uh, how they do divvy that up for sure. All right, let's get into your listener questions and voicemails. We're going to start with voicemails. we got a couple here, uh, so let's go ahead and dive into it. Hey, Chris. So with this 2020 season, I, I was actually optimistic going into it, thinking we could go six and four and was like, and thought we could maybe, you know, get some upsets and win this toss up games. But with the loss of Lloyd, I feel like I don't see games. I see us going honestly two and eight. I don't see us winning toss up games. I don't see us playing well. You know, we're deep in the running back position, but Lloyd was our elite back. I don't feel like we, I don't think we'll really win those toss-up games or, you know, get any upsets, purely on the fact that I don't think Muschamp can win those games without Lloyd. Hope I'm wrong. Hope we go 10 now. Go Cox. Hey, man, appreciate the voicemail. I think you make a lot of good points, and, you know, I, I'd agree with you. Um, <clears throat> I'd agree with you in, in the sense of the running back. L- listen, I've seen a lot of people on social media say, well – you know, we lost Lloyd, but, hey, we, we've got a ton of good running backs. We, we've got a, a deep running back room. And we do. South Carolina's got a deep running back room. But when you look at the – and, listen, maybe I'm just giving Lloyd way too much credit. I, I mean, but I don't think I am. I think he's a big-time prospect, and there's a reason he was a five-star, and there's a reason he had this hype around him. When I take a look, though, at the running back room, with the loss of Lloyd, Kevin Harris, Saquandre White, Deshaun Fenwick, if you want to throw Rashad Amos in there, you can as well. I think you have definitely serviceable options. I mean, I like Kevin Harris's game a lot. This white, the Quandre White kid, you know, top top running back in JUCO. He must have some talent. I mean, dude must have some ability. Um, Deshaun Fenwick has done some nice things for you when he's gotten the opportunity to play. But what I think you'd lack with the loss of Lloyd, I, I really thought Lloyd was the guy that was going to be the bell cow back. He was going to be the feature back. Like I said, focal point of the offense. I just don't think you have another guy that fits that mold. And like, could be wrong, but I don't think out of the guys that you have, you have another guy that's going to be that bell cow running back. Like, I, I don't think Kevin Harris fits that. I, we know nothing about Zaquandre White. And then Deshaun Fenwick, dude, here's the thing. I saw somebody on Instagram today saying they think Deshaun Fenwick will be the starting running back, and he's so good, and this and that. Dude, there is – I mean, I, I, I've I loved watching Deshaun Fenwick run the ball when he's gotten the opportunity. And honestly, I thought last year Deshaun Fenwick might push for the starting job. But here's the thing, guys. At this point, going into, what, his junior season, there's a reason he's been the third-string running back or the fourth-string running back his entire career. I, there has to be. There's some reason he is not broken up farther in the depth chart. So – Appreciate the voicemail again, man. I think you make a lot of good points. Um, so you're basically saying you thought six and four, and now a four-game swing 
because of Lloyd's absence. I, I don't think he was going to have that big of an impact necessarily. I think maybe a two-game swing would be a little more realistic. But, it, listen, it certainly changes the prospects of the season. There's just no, there's no way to sugarcoat it. I, I understand. And it's like I said last week when I one of my initial reactions. It's no disrespect to the other guys on the roster. It's no disrespect to the – you know, it's nothing personal to the other guys in the running back room. But I just don't you – listen, I, and again, people are saying he's a true freshman. When you're depending on a true freshman, what does that say about you, blah, blah, blah. They're not, not – not all true freshmen are built the same. And I don't think Marshawn Lloyd is built the same. Like, I, I really believed that he was going to be the guy. And losing that, you just – you can't stress enough how big of a deal that's going to be and how tough – how tough that's going to be to overcome because you're going to have to. And like I was saying, early in the season, I think that's why you'll struggle offensively. I just think there's a now – you now you've got a question at running back. <clears throat> now you've got a question at running back. So, <clears throat> definitely affects the outcome of the 2020 season period. Let's get to our next voicemail here. Hey, man, uh, this is Taylor. Uh, I called last week or a week before that. It was one day. And I said, Carolina, seven and three. Well, just as you get hyped up for the season, man, you get a tragedy. Marshawn Lloyd, torn ACL. Well, I mean, with that, I think it kind of bumps us down to about five and five, four and six, maybe, maybe three and seven. Uh, but next man up, um, I think uh, we we're pretty deep at running back, and um, I think I think. It's not going to be a Marshawn Lloyd caliber player, but I think that we're going to be able to progress and put, at least put some points on the board. We still have Shot Smith. We got a good, decent kind of wide receiver core. And uh, also, Colin Hill. I don't really know much about him, but if Ryan Halinski doesn't put out what they want in their offense, do you think he can lead us? From coming from Colorado State, Mike Bobo's offense, you think he can? Continue that on and be successful at Carolina. All right, appreciate it, man. Spurs uh, up. Uh, go Gamecocks. All right, appreciate the voicemail, man. Thanks for calling in again, Taylor. That was uh, that was funny calling in a week later. <laughs> that Marshawn, like I said, that Marshawn injury for sure changes a lot of things. But no. Uh, so starting with let's let's talk about what you said at the end there about the quarterback situation <clears throat> and Colin Hill. Um, you know, I, listen, I, I I'll tell you this. I think the longer the competition goes on throughout fall camp, I think the more it favors Colin Hill to be the starter. Um, I mean, listen, the biggest thing, the guy's never played a down in the SEC. So that's a big thing, right? He's never played a down. But you've got to think, too. I mean, Ryan Olinsky's like a true freshman all over again. He's having to learn a brand-new scheme, a brand-new system, brand-new verbiage. You know, listen, Ryan's a smart guy. He's a very smart kid, very bright. But you just can't substitute – I mean, the fact that Colin Hill has been in the offense for four years with Mike Bobo, he knows the playbook like the back of his hand. I mean, Nick Muse was saying last week after a practice, he thinks Colin Hill knows the playbook better than Mike Bobo does. So, I mean, that matters. Because, I mean, think about it. You're going into a Tennessee game like we mentioned, your your season opener. It's a must win. It really is a must win. To have any semblance of a positive season, you need to win that Tennessee game. And so – I guess I'd look at it as, you know, let, let's let's be <laughs> let's be kind and say that Ryan Linsky would know 75% of the playbook, okay? 
Well, you got a guy, Colin Hill, knows 100 of it, 100%. So, you know, I just think it's going to hurt you to go into a season opener that you really need to win and only be able to use a limited edition of your playbook or a limited amount of your playbook. So, you know, again, it's, it's really tough to tell because Colin Hill's never played an SEC game in his life. Um, I'm down for either guy. And, I mean, I, I certainly listen. Listening to Colin Hill speak to the media, we all know about Ryan. I think Ryan has a lot of the intangibles you look for in a quarterback. He's a leader, for sure. He's a leader of men. I think Colin Hill, listening to him talk, he, I think he's probably a leader, too. And Adam Prentice said that. Adam Prentice said that in his uh, – his media availability Saturday. He said that. He, dude's a leader. He's a leader. So, I mean, listen, I'd feel confident with Colin Hill. I, I, I certainly would. Um, you know, and I think playing styles, you know, just watching Colin Hill on tape, you know, Hill and Holinsky have very similar styles. So like, I, I don't know that, you, number one, your offense isn't going to change with either guy. And number two, like, you know, with all due respect to Ryan, I think Colin Hill can spin it probably just as well as he can. Damn near close. I mean, again, the guy's never thrown against SEC defenses. I get that, but, you know, guy can spin it. He, th- he throws a pretty ball either way. So, you know, I just think, especially, again, early in the season where that first game is so pivotal, you might want to play the guy that has, you know, that's going to – let me put it this way that's going to make the transition offensively as seamless as possible. Because like I, like I mentioned, in my predictions, one and four, big problems the offense. The big problem, I think, is going to be the offense. So maybe you give yourself a big advantage if you throw out the guy out there that, again, knows the offense. He's going to make this transition as seamless as possible for you. Whereas with Ryan, I mean, again – he. It's just not realistic to think the dude's going to know the entire playbook by week one. I just, you know, again, it's no disrespect to him, but, I mean, that's a lot. You're putting a lot on his shoulders. So, I don't know. I'd feel fine either way. Again, both guys are really similar. Um, And I'm down to ride with and support whoever plays, whatever. We'll we'll see. Um, But, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Appreciate the call, Taylor. Appreciate the voicemail. We've got one more voicemail here. <clears throat> we got one more voicemail in there. We'll dive into your listener questions and uh, go into our interview and wrap this thing up. Hey, Chris, would you consider five and five for this team a massive success and a reason for future optimism of the show? Thanks. Hey, man, short and sweet to the point. I like that. Appreciate the voicemail. Would I consider five and five a massive success and a reason basically for optimism moving forward? I consider it's a, I would consider it a success. I would. I'd consider five and five a success. Um, you know, with all the question marks offensively, how t- – you know, I, I, I'm not necessarily using the schedule as an excuse, but I think five and five – like I mentioned in the beginning of the show, I think five and five or better should be the minimum expectation. Year five of Will Muschamp, I think there's – I think there's, ros- there's, there's talent on this roster. I think there's enough talent on this roster, more than enough, to go 500 or better. So, I think if you can do that, if you can go five and five or better – I mean, saying it's a massive su- success, if you go five and five, that might be a little much, but I think it's enough success to reason and say, hey, I, you know, hey, this program, I think we are headed in the right direction. You know, we're, we're adding talent. We're adding talent recruiting. We have talent on the roster. Because, if, listen, if you win five games, if you win five games, you've probably beaten Ole Miss. You've beaten Vandy Mizzou. You've probably beaten Ole Miss. 
And then, hey, you, you've, you've won a pretty big game. You've beaten Tennessee, or you've, be, you know, you've beaten Tennessee. You've beaten Auburn, maybe. You've beaten, maybe you've beaten A&M. You've beaten Kentucky. I mean, yeah, once you start getting to that five, six, seven win range, you've had some big wins for sure. So I would say five and five would be a success. I mean, like I mentioned, if South Carolina goes five and five or better, I'm writing an apology note to Will Muschamp and I'm posting it on social media. So obviously, I, I think that'd be a success. Massive success, eh. But I think five and five, it would be a successful season. Again, I think there'd be enough there to show, hey, we're making progress. We, we, there, are, there is positivity. There is optimism to pull from this season as we go into the 2021 season. So I think if you can get to five and five, you're going to have reasons for optimism. I think things will have – certainly positive things will have happened. And, uh, you know, I think there will be, again, enough positives to take away from a five-and-five five season that we can feel good, at least better, <laughs> at least better going into 2021. So, appreciate the voicemail again. Though. Let's get into your listener questions on Instagram really quickly. <clears throat> We'll start with Thomas underscore Brady underscore H. Gunner Stoughton recruiting snowball for 2022. Calling it now. Let's go. Yeah, I, listen. I mean, a lot can change from now and then. Like I said, we might have a brand new coaching staff. I, I tend to think we probably will. But, oh, yeah. I mean, South Carolina can keep him on, man. Oh, it's – I mean, sky's the limit for that class for sure. Anytime you have a quarterback too, and it's – when you got a quarterback leading the class and it's this early in the recruiting process, in the recruiting cycle, oh, dude, it, it's – Massive. Yeah, it just it cannot be you can't stress it enough how big it is. So yeah, no, I think so for sure. JB Painter 71. Will Bobo be the next head coach so that Gunnar Stockton stays committed to USC? I do not think so. I, I again I I don't think you, you know, you're not you don't listen if he's fit for the job and you think he's going to win you games and you think he's the guy to get you to Atlanta that's a different story but you don't just keep him on the you don't make him the head coach just to keep one player like I said earlier so no I don't think that happens I think when and if they move on from Will Muschamp I think it will be a full they're going to completely clean house they're going to want to get somebody that's not been under the Will Muschamp regime they're going to want to get somebody that's fully fresh you know completely fresh of that so, no, I do not think that'll happen. Scott W. Lawson has two questions. Bobo allegations? He seems very wrongly accused and more of a distraction. Yeah, those things went away fast. <laughs> those things went away fast. So, I mean, it, it, it just it looks like now those allegations were complete bullshit. So, good to hear. I mean, it's, I'm glad. It's just funny how that happened, man. He, he got a bunch of support, and they addressed it, and boom, it's done. It's over with. I mean, it's, it's done-zo. So, yeah, I think I think he probably was wrongly accused. I mean, honestly. So uh, his other question: hypothetical scenario, Hill wins quarterback this season, then Doty wins next season. If you're Ryan, what do you do? I think you transfer. No question. <laughs> I mean, that's that's an easy answer. I think you transfer. Listen, here's the thing too: the whole NCAA basically giving a forgiveness year, right? Basically, like this year doesn't count, dude. Colin Hill can come back next year. And if you're Colin Hill, why wouldn't you come back? Dude, we, Colin Hill might be your starting quarterback for two seasons. So especially in that scenario, I mean, if you're Ryan Holinsky, I mean, and I can't, like, like, dude, it's crazy that I'm saying that. It's crazy to be saying that because I like Ryan, obviously. And it's, 
you know, last year at this time, we were all thinking, man, this guy might be the second coming. He's going to be our next stud, our next star. And I'm sitting here talking about him transferring. But that's how fast things can change in college football. I just think if – I really believe if, if Colin Hill takes the job this year, I think there's a pretty decent chance you will see Ryan Linsky hit the transfer market and probably go back to the West Coast and whatever. I mean, I could be wrong, but, you know, transferring is very popular these days. So, would not shock me at all. Absolutely would not shock me at all. So, appreciate the listener questions. Appreciate the voicemails, guys. Awesome, awesome stuff today. Uh, Again, so excited, so happy to just be talking football in general, but giving predictions, giving thoughts on the season. It's a blast. Again, part two will come Thursday. I will finish up my season predictions. So stay tuned for that on Thursday. Be sure to look out for that. Um, But really appreciate you guys tuning in. Now, stick around. We have a fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks running back Caleb Kinlaw joins the show. Listen, the guy didn't play a ton, but was a big part of South Carolina's team. A guy who literally was on the team last year. So, has great perspective, great analysis, great insight on everything going on within the program. We talked about that. Did you guys know he was actually recruited at first to Wisconsin? He went to Wisconsin. Caleb Kinlaw started his college football career at Wisconsin, which is nuts. I mean, it's just like something I just didn't think about or didn't realize. Started at Wisconsin, transferred to a community college, transferred to South Carolina. We talked about it all. Again, his career, relationship with Will Muschamp, how he feels about the current state of the program, how he projects the Gamecocks program how he projects the program in the 2020 season and beyond. Um, a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. His favorite memories, all that good stuff. So stay tuned. Sit back, relax, enjoy, guys. Once again, it's all brought to you by our friends at mybookie.ag. Guys, again, it's summertime. We're getting into fall. We're getting into football season at mybookie. That can only mean one thing. It's winning season, baby. Who doesn't love winning? I know I do. It's winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contests, survivor, and more. At MyBookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. Guys, you can bet anything. You can bet literally anything. Hey, hey I don't talk politics, but if you, you want to bet the election, be my guest. But sports-wise, you can bet NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, UFC, college football, NFL, anything. The craziest sports time of your life is here. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash, invest in your intuition, select from hundreds of future bets. Hey, guys, if you think over under three and a half for South Carolina is a slap in the face and it's disrespectful and you want to hammer the over, you want to put the money on the Gamecocks, you can do it on mybookie.ag. Or if you think three and a half is a little courteous and you think South Carolina is only going to win a game or two or maybe three this year, you can bet the under there as well or any other SEC teams over under for that matter. So, again, select from hundreds of future bets, or you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big brain of yours to good use. I know all my listeners are really, really smart. Put your brain to good use. Use promo code GAMECOCKS. Pretty simple, right? GAMECOCKS at MyBookie.ag and double your first deposit. Again, you guys are really smart that are listening. I would say the smartest fans on the Internet. Love that. If you're listening to the Spurs Up show, you're a genius, just so you know. So you guys get this math, and I'm about to go over. New players get up to $1,000 in free play. Guys, up to 1000 bucks. They're going to match what you put in. Guess what? You put in a grand. They're going to give you a grand to play with. Another 1000 You can't beat that. I mean, it's free money. It's literally free money. 
It's designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Guys, thousands of cross-sport wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Guys, your winning season begins today only at MyBookie using promo code GAMECOCKS at MyBookie.ag. Enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks running back Caleb Kinlaw. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up Show, a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2017 to 2019, had a big role in those teams. I'm very excited to be joined by former South Carolina running back Caleb Kinlaw. Caleb, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, so Caleb, really interesting. I was looking at your bio. I want to go back to the beginning for you because you played at Goose Creek, out of Goose Creek, South Carolina, and Goose Creek is a juggernaut for those that don't know as far as the high school football ranks in South Carolina are concerned, but... The thing that I sort of forgot about you is that you actually recruited and started your career out at Wisconsin. Um, started your career at Wisconsin. You were redshirted that first year in 2014. But just talk about the recruiting process for you, again, coming out of a big-time high school like Goose Creek and then going to Wisconsin. Again, a team, the Badgers, they have a really, really successful program. They love to run the football. So I'm sure for you that was like a running back's dream. But just what was the recruiting process like for you? Was South Carolina ever involved at a high school for you? And what made you decide to go to Madison and join Wisconsin? Um, South Carolina was involved very early. I think I want to say between them and Clemson were my first two offers. Mm. Um, I think when I was like a sophomore or so in high school, freshman, sophomore. Um, but yeah, then them and probably about 10 of the schools or so. Um, I ended up, Wisconsin was actually the last school to recruit me and offer me. Um, they recruited me and offered me like in the middle of the season, um, took a visit with them and ended up committing with them. Um, just the situation going in, it was really ideal. Um, you know, they had they had Mel there and then they had Corey. Um, and they brought in me, another running back, Taiwan deal. So it was kind of like Mel was planning on leaving that following year. So they were planning on running, you know, us three for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just pretty much the most ideal situation me going in. That's why I chose them. Yeah, I was going to say you were there 2014, you redshirted, and then 2015, you did play a little bit. You also spent time at defensive back. Um, was there, was there ever a question for you? I mean, what your position was, I mean, again, I feel pretty solid in saying that you are a running back, but, um, I know you also played some special teams for South Carolina and stuff like that. But I mean, was that more of an experimental thing or something that you, did you prompt that? Or like, what was the, what was the deal with you going to the defensive side? (laughs) That was, uh, I don't, I don't even know where that came from, but they just, cause that knew the, the staff that recruited me, they resigned at the end of my freshman year. So them, the running back coach, everybody was gone. Mm-hmm. So that new staff came in, and then I can't even tell you what they were thinking or why they <laughs> wanted me, but they asked me to go to corner. And at first I was telling them no, and then, you know, they asked me again. I was, you know, I'll just – I'll do whatever I need to do to, you know, help the team in a whatever way. And then when I got back there, I, I, it wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. You, you sound, you sound kind of like uh, A.J. Turner, your former teammate who we just had on the show. He basically told yeah. me, he's like, yeah – I didn't really know what I was doing back there, but I just knew if I saw somebody, I was going to hit them. So, whatever. That's, yeah, um, that's about it. <laughs> exactly. So, I, I know you were just there for two years, um, Caleb. Mm-hmm. I know you were just there for two years, but you played in the Big Ten. You played in the SEC, and everybody loves to tell you know the SEC is the best conference in the country. And I think it is, certainly. I think it's the best football, no doubt. Right. But the Big Ten certainly holds its own. Um, what was your overall experience like? I mean, if you, if you compared it to your time at South Carolina and playing against SEC competition – how does the Big Ten compare, would you say? Um, it's pretty identical um, to an extent. It's basically just like the SEC is way faster. Um, 
the Big Ten is way more brute. So when it comes to those are like you legit some of the biggest D line or O linemen you're gonna see mm. when you get up there. Um linebackers are always physical. Um they don't have a whole lot of speed up there like that. They have enough speed, but um like even our defense, our defense didn't have a whole lot of like top notch players coming out of high school when I was at Wisconsin. Mm. They had average two star or three star players at the most and walk ons. Mm. They were just real like fundamental sound like they're probably one of the most fundamentally sound conferences when it comes to just not making mistakes defense wise. And then everything is just pretty much fundamental. Um, offense was just control the clock, hold the ball type of thing. Um, then when you come to the SEC, it's just you just got athletes all over. Um, I think the guys in the SEC, of course, are way more athletic, but I think the guys um, in the Big Ten are way more fundamentally sound and discipline when it comes to like schemes and things like that like they don't make hardly any mistakes Mm -hmm. up there for sure so again I know you were just there a brief time Caleb you transferred in 2016 I think it was to Pearl River Community College uh, in Mississippi you just talked about the staff was let go so I'm sure that had a lot to do with it in your decision to transfer but just talk about what went in that decision was it as simple as you just wanted a fresh start and kind of hit the reset button due to the staff changes or what, what went in that decision for you to decide to transfer um, I mean, there were a few things, but the main thing is, yeah, that, that once that staff left, it was kind of like I didn't really fit into, I guess, whatever that that right. new staff wanted. Um, so yeah, when I um when that new staff came in, I guess I just didn't fit into whatever they wanted, um, mm-hmm. like their ideal mode or whatever. So me and them kind of you know butt heads a little bit back and forth. Um, just didn't see eye to eye. Um, and I ended up leaving. Backtracking a little bit because I'm just curious. Again, you you spent many days in Camp Randall and at that stadium, and it's one of the best venues in the entire country. Compare it, you know. I'm not going to put you on the spot and say, "Hey, just compare it to Williams Bryce." I mean, you know, again, I I love Willie B, and we we both know. I mean, Mm -hmm. it gets it gets crazy, but man, I mean, I've only seen videos of Camp Randall, and I mean, it's you know, especially when they do the jump around and everything. Like it, it, it's a cool. It looks like a cool place. It looks like a pretty cool place. It is. Um, honestly, you they're, they're very comparable. Um. I think that just up there is just a different, like, it's just the vibe is a little different. But if mm-hmm. you were to compare it to as far as just how much they're in the football and how loud it is, like, yeah. And then there, there's a lot more tradition, I think, just in Wisconsin. Um, I think South Carolina has its tradition, but they'll they'll waver away from tradition a little more than um Wisconsin. Like, tradition, they don't they don't like waving away from it at all. Like, they, everything they do is just, like, is it, it is what it is, and it's how it's always been for the most part. Yeah, I think you see that in, like, the uniforms. And like, like you said, they're, they're pretty yeah. – I think Wisconsin, like you're saying, is very traditional for sure. Uh, again, right. 2016, you're at Pearl River Community College. Have a really good year for those guys. Just talk about – again, it's kind of weird because you're – it's basically like recruitment <laughs> 2.0 for you. I mean, you're starting all over. You're getting recruited again, and you land yeah. in South Carolina. Um, what was that process like for you? I mean, did you have in the back of your head that you wanted to come back home, or were you just sort of an open slate wherever you go, you go? Like, what was the – what 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 went into the decision making process for you at that point to you know finally land on coming home and playing for South Carolina? Oh, uh, honestly, that that whole you know stretch and me deciding to go to Pearl River and decide like all of that was just it was hectic and it was really like frustrating. Like I never, I honestly never planned. I didn't know what JUCO was. Like initially when I decided to transfer, East Mississippi offered me, and I turned. I didn't even know what JUCO was. <laughs> like so when they t- like I had a couple of them that were offering me, reaching out to me, and then I ended up picking Pearl River like was very last minute because I had a teammate that was at Wisconsin with me. He was transferring there. Um, but then going there and then it's just like you kind of – it's one of the things where you just – nobody can really prepare you for it. You don't know what's going on. You just got to kind of go on the fly and figure things out. So when it came to the recruiting, the recruiting was all over the place. Didn't know, you know, who was really into me like that because it changed so much and so fast. 
And then at that time, there were a lot of coaching changes in NCAA as well. So um, basically, I know I always knew of Coach Bentley. Um, and I want to say we talked before I transferred to Pearl River mm. um, briefly. And then after I transferred there and, and got out, um, we ended up talking again. And then that's when, you know, that ended up happening. Yeah, I was going to say, you were almost on the TV show, I guess, if East Mississippi was uh, yeah, offering you. You could have been, been a Netflix star, <laughs> Exactly, <man>. right. <laughs> For sure. So you, you talked about Coach Bentley again. You get to South Carolina in 2017. You came on as a walk-on, um, appeared mainly in special teams that played running back, obviously, your entire career at South Carolina. Just just talk about, I guess, you know, it, it's obviously it's it's different being a walk-on right. versus a scholarship player. Just Just talk about, I guess, some of the challenges of that, what it's like being a walk-on at South Carolina again. I mean, you're still fully a part of the team, but I mean, there, right. people should know. Like, there's certainly differences between being a scholarship guy and a walk-on guy. Um, I'm gonna be honest with you. I didn't. They didn't really treat me any differently. They treated me like I was a scholarship player. So nice. Um, I think everybody's different experience is gonna be different depending right, on who you right. are. But um, with me, I didn't really have um, the the walk-on, the true walk-on experience. I would mm-hmm. say, um, compared to some of the other guys I knew and this and that. But um. It was just it was a little different because like just having that name tag to you, then it was kind of like I chose to go there and possibly could have went somewhere else on scholarship. And I felt as though I just wanted to go somewhere where, mm-hmm. for one, I was a little closer to home, and then two, you know, I felt like Carolina was in a, a building stage, and I wanted to be a part of that. What as far as you, you talked about your role or your uh, relationship, if you will, with Coach Bentley? I know obviously you probably mm-hmm. rubbed shoulders with Will Muschamp as well, and had a relationship with him. Just talk about your first interactions with Coach Muschamp because again, when you were getting getting recruited out of high school. It was Steve Spurrier. You go through the coaching change. Mm-hmm. Will Muschamp gets the job 2016 until now, obviously. But just talk about your relationship with him or your relationship with Coach Bentley. What what was that relationship like when you were playing? Um, It was pretty good. Um, Me and Muschamp, we, we always kind of like – it was just really stern and kind of like straightforward. <laughs> we didn't have – we didn't interact a whole lot. But um, when we did, like it was just always good times with him. Um, Bentley was just kind of like – uh, he was just kind of like like your uncle, basically. That that's kind of that's that's how he was when it came like the relationship was. Um, he always would implement a lot of life skills, you know, just in the running back room as a whole. Um, he always basically would treat us like like family. Like you know, coaches always say that little cliche saying, but it really that's what that was like his thing. Like he always made sure he tried to treat you like family. He always kept us around as his family. Um, you know, he was always at the house, things like that. Um, I think Bentley probably taught me the most when it comes to like the the part of football that you don't really pay attention to when it comes to like the little things like understanding defenses and coverage and understanding all of those things. I think I learned the most from him when it came to that like classroom part of football. And I think me, you know, being around him was a blessing in disguise. For sure. So I think it's sort of ironic, Caleb, you know, we're talking about this because again, in 2018, you were a redshirt senior. You tore your ACL during the first week of fall camp. You missed the entire mm-hmm. season. And I say that it, it's ironic we're about to talk about it because of what just happened this week in fall yeah. camp with South Carolina and Marshawn Lloyd, the unfortunate injury. He tore his ACL out for the entire yeah. season. But I want to focus on you first. You know, again, you're a senior. Um, you know, you're a redshirt senior. That happens. And, again, it all worked out for you. We're going to talk about it in just a second. You, had, mm-hmm. you got that extra year of eligibility, that sixth year. But at that time, you don't know if you're going to get it. So you go down with a torn ACL. I mean, just talk about – not just the physical rehab, but the mental grind that you went through as far as just, you know, getting yourself back into playing shape, you know, rehabbing that injury. I mean, what, what, was, what was that challenge like for you? Because I'm sure that was a major obstacle. Yeah, um, that was, uh, to be brutally honest, that was probably one of the worst um, experiences, especially at that, that given time that it happened. 
because um you know that was a time when I first got to Carolina first year. Um, honestly, when I first got there, it, it took me a long time to get used to running out of shotgun because mm. that's something I've never really done before. You know, it was constantly never did never ran a shotgun none of this. So like when I got to Carolina, I had to basically learn a different style of playing offense. Mm. So then when I finally start kind of getting it, and I feel good, I feel positive, feel healthy, all those things, then I end up turning to ACL and going into my last year. That was kind of like the biggest um, blowback mentally. It was bigger mentally mm. than physically because I've been injured before. Like that's not mm. like I already know the you know the rehab process, all those things like that. But that just that was it was really big mentally. Um, I was depressed for a while. I didn't even want to play. It took me probably about two or three months to even decide to apply if I wanted to apply for the six year or not because mm. I had you know I was contemplating not even playing anymore. Um, but yeah, with that and then when I tore my ACL, I didn't just tear the ACL. Um, you know, I ended up partially tearing my MCL. I tore both my meniscus. So I had to kind of, it was like a really, really slow start. Um, so like just getting into actually getting through surgery, getting into rehab, it was one of those things where it's like, you kind of don't really have a chance to wrap your mind about it around it and think you're just kind of trying not to think about it. If that makes sense. Mm. Um, but it was, it was long and it was hard. I, I can't even lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, for sure. I mean, I, I'd imagine so. It yeah. makes sense. I'll ask you this, Caleb, and I joked around this week because I, I told somebody I think Will Muschamp is cursed because you look at it just for whatever reason, there's been so many injuries, so many key right. guys going down with injuries during his tenure at South Carolina. I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, you let go of Jeff Dillman, and was it even his fault? Is it just bad luck? I mean, is there anything that you – I mean, again, you tear an ACL. That's that's not something – that's a freak injury, you know what I mean? But. Right. I mean, is there anything that you could pinpoint or that comes to mind when you think of why all the injuries happen? Because, I mean, is it just bad luck? I mean, has, has South Carolina just been snake bitten? Right. I mean, it just seems like every single season, especially yeah. as you get later in the year, it's like five, six, seven guys. I mean, you remember the one year, 2018, basically the whole defense oh, yeah, was injured. That, the whole defense. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what like well, what's going on? Is there something in the water? I mean, or is there something to yeah. it? I mean, what's the, what's the deal? I, I honestly couldn't say. The only <laughs> thing I could really say is just the fact that I think because we've rebuilding um mm -hmm. you know sometimes when you're in the weight room and you're training you know you, you kind of trying to figure out what kind of team you want so mm -hmm. offensively like are you going to be a, a you know a up-tempo team so then if you're going to be up-tempo team then you need to you know basically you're going to prioritize being in shape a lot of running things like that so i think um sometimes we kind of didn't really know which direction we wanted to go mm -hmm. so i think that could possibly affect it a little bit um but other than that i think it's just it's just football right it's just been crazy. Like, I just, it's just, you know, and obviously the, yeah. the Marshawn Lloyd thing. I guess, you know, fans are tuning in again. Every, everybody this week was devastated when that news came out. Uh, you know, I know, I know Marshawn, a true freshman, but I expect him to have a major, major role in this offense. But just, yeah. just give South Carolina fans, I guess, some, some insight on what he will be going through. And I mean, you obviously came back from it. So it's not like something like we're never going to see Marshawn Lloyd play again. Like, he will get back on the field, right. he will get fully healthy, he will contribute at some point. Um, but, I mean, overall, you know, what is the recovery process like? Like, if you had to give some fans some insight, like, what is the – you know, what I guess what can we expect? Like, if we're wondering what Marshawn Lloyd's doing over this next month right. period, whatever, the next 10, 11, 12 months, whatever. What's he going to be doing? What's the recovery process going to be like for him? Um, It'll be a little – it's going to be pretty different depending on exactly where he mm -hmm. starts. Um, But if he just tore just the ACL, um, his process is going to be a lot more straightforward than mine was because – with mine, I had to wait a while before I could even get the surgery because I partially tore my MCL, so I had to wait for that to heal. Um, but if it's just the ACL, basically he'll end up they'll end up prepping him for the surgery. So um, 
if they have to, have to, if he has to wait a certain amount of weeks to get the surgery, they'll have him doing rehab so that he doesn't lose muscle. So that when he gets the surgery, that he's not, you know, starting from ground zero. Like he, he'll have a little mm-hmm. bit of a, a jump start. Um, he'll go through that and he'll get the surgery. Um, usually the first couple of weeks, they keep you off of it, of course. And again, it's going to depend on if he has to get anything done with his meniscus, things like that. Um, slowly, they basically just get your range of motion back. And so he's going to be going through that. Then he's going to end up, you know, walking on and doing things like that. It's basically just he has to learn how to walk again. He has to learn how to walk again. He has to learn how to fire his muscles in a proper um, sequence when he's walking. Then um, once he starts running, he'll have to relearn how to fire his muscle sequence again. Um, basically, just it's like you, it's almost like you being like it's like a baby. Like you really have to learn how to walk again, use the muscles mm-hmm. again. They have to focus on all your minor muscles, your quad, like everything around it. They have to make sure that they're. It's one of those things where it's real tedious because you can't like you can't work one leg and not work the other. Because mm, if right. you if you notice a lot of guys tear the other ACL because of that. Mm. Um, you can't put too much on the other leg. Um, this is one of those things where it's real tedious. But he'll it'll be a slow process at first. Then once he starts getting into the point where he's like running and cutting, then he'll be fine. Awesome, it's good to hear. Um, Caleb, obviously, again, you go down with the injury. You're a redshirt senior. Talk about you know in your mind or whatever went on the process for applying for that sixth year. And thankfully, again, you yeah. get it. Um, right. You, that you were rehabbing, obviously, in the spring from the knee injury. Um, but you get that sixth year. I mean, just talk about getting that year. How, how big of a relief, I'm sure, mentally that was for you just to know that you were going to have another opportunity. And your career wasn't going to end like that with an injury. Um, well, the whole process, I guess, not one of those things where you really got to, like, do a whole lot for because mm-hmm. um, they handled all of it. But – Basically, I have to wait until the turn of the year and have to um, submit the paperwork and then wait for the NCAA to apply. Um, so going through that process, like I, I already felt like I was going to get it. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things where it's like you don't want to say, like you don't want to speak before you actually get it. Um, but it was a big relief just to be able to play again. I think that um, when I first decided to apply for the sixth year, I was kind of like I didn't like I really didn't know if I wanted to play still. And it was like as time went on, it was like, and I'm, and you know, you're going through the rehab and you hit those points in the rehab when it's tough. I was like, man, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. And I kept having those, you know, thoughts on and off. And then when I actually got it, it was like a, a like a just big, it was just relief because it's like, you know, you don't, you don't get to play football forever. So just to get another year that's guaranteed to you, you know, you, you take it and you have to just take advantage of it and be grateful for it. Caleb, I want to talk about last year just a little bit, because again, you were on the team last year. So I think it's really cool. You have great perspective, everything going on, but I want to ask you specifically I want to ask you specifically about the quarterback position. And obviously, Jake Bentley lost for the season after the first game last year. Ryan Holinsky takes over. You know, obviously, Jake was the only quarterback you basically knew while you were there. He was the dude all the years that you were there, and the whole injury happens. I mean, again, as someone that's battled an injury and overcame an injury, how tough was it, I guess, to see your guy go down and then Ryan takes over? Obviously, I know you guys embraced him as well, but how tough was it to see your guy, Jake, go down? Um and then Ryan takes over. Just talk about what that transition was like in the locker room. We obviously saw it play it on the field. And I thought, you know, Ryan, for a true freshman, I thought he showed a lot of moxie, a lot of poise, and he played really well. But mm-hmm. just just talk about what that was like as a team going through that transition from your senior quarterback to the true freshman. Um, it, it was it was honestly really weird because um, mm-hmm. I've never – you would never kind of think that your starting quarterback goes on and you have to rely on somebody who's never played it down in college football. Because mm-hmm. even when Jake went down the year before, you know, you had Scar. So we were like, we were fine because like we know Scar can play, we know Scar can throw it. Like we don't have to, like we didn't really think twice about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
when it came to Jake, it was almost like you had to kind of – we didn't really know when, like, if Jake was going to be out for the season. Like, so it took us a while to figure that out. Um, then whenever it happened, it's kind of like, you okay, so you have to basically rally Ryan and make sure that he's prepared mentally because I'm pretty sure it was overwhelming on him, especially when it comes to, like, the fans. You know how hard they are. <laughs> so you have to basically be prepared for all of that, and he's never done it before. So it was something we had to kind of come together more as a team and basically, you know, groom him into being a starting quarterback. And, you know, we didn't, thankfully we didn't have to do a whole lot because Ryan was really prepared just mentally. Um, he was able to kind of adjust on the fly, get everything that he needed to get done. And he was a really good leader for us. Um, and I think that that, you know, even though that was kind of like throwing him in the fire, like he wasn't really shell-shocked. So that was a good thing. But um, it was definitely kind of one of the things where it was like, like, what are we going to do now kind of thing. And then, you know, he shows up and he takes over. How difficult is it, Caleb, for an offensive player going from offensive coordinator to offensive coordinator? Obviously, you had Kurt Roper and Brian McClendon. Now you have Mike Bobo on this year's team for those guys. Uh, what are the challenges that an offensive player faces going from coordinator to coordinator? You know, is, is, it, is it a really tough transition? I mean, I'm sure it's just something where, hey, you, you're, you're worried about just playing football, whatever it is, what it is. But I, I'm sure, again, that, that poses some challenges to guys as far as going from different offensive schemes, the verbiage changes, the philosophy changes. It's like starting yeah. all over again. Basically. Um, it'll depend kind of on the position, and it'll depend on, you know, how much the scheme changes or what it changes to. Um, but personally, it didn't change a whole lot to the point where we had to do too much. Um, mm -hmm. You do have to kind of adjust a little bit as far as the verbiage. That's probably the hardest part. Mm -hmm. um, getting started is probably the hardest part because you have to think, like, a lot of the verbiage, you might call one play this last year, but you take that same name and you change the play. So then you have to, like, in your head, mentally condition yourself to remember, okay, that's not this. It's, it's this now. Um, but for the most part, me personally playing running back, it wasn't um, that difficult. It actually got better um, when BMAC came in because mm -hmm. they ended up changing the blocking scheme based off of, like, the pass pro scheme. Right. So the pass pro scheme was a lot easier. So, like, previously we would do a mic ID point. And with a mic ID point is like you have to basically first of all figure out who the mic is, and with a lot of defense, especially playing the defense like Clemson and A and M, where they do all these crazy things before the ball snaps, we didn't have any trouble with that with um, B Mac. So we learned from that, and we basically would just do a slide protection and like just something as simple as that. It, it helped us a lot. So it just depends on you know how the scheme changes and then what position you play. You just mentioned Clemson. I want to ask you, uh, Caleb, obviously being a guy from in the state, you talked about Carolina and Clemson both first offer you. They obviously both recruited you. I know it didn't go your way while you were on campus, but being a player in the South kind of Clemson rivalry, as intense as it is, I mean, just just try to, if you can, just try to explain to people what that's like. Because, again, I think, I think the fans, it's probably a bigger deal for the fans because I know you guys, there's a lot of mutual respects. And, I mean, the fans go nuts over it. You know, it's all about beating Clemson, right? And it's all about, all about beating Carolina on the other side. What's it like being a player in what, would, what some would argue is the best rivalry in college football? Honestly, um, we just always kind of block it out because you have to block it out because mm -hmm. you, um, you can't get too hyped for that game because then, you know, a lot of times you get too hyped for that game, you start doing things out of your character. You start right. trying to do right. make extra plays that you don't need to make. Um, basically, you just, we just have to block it all out. But it is crazy, especially when it comes to the fans, because they, they take it seriously. Like, it's like, it's like war to them. Like, yeah. <laughs> so some Life fans are like, yeah, so some fans are real crazy about it. And then you just have to kind of like, you know, you, you entertain it for the purposes of just interacting with the fans. But when mm -hmm. it comes to like, in between the lines in the locker room and the meeting rooms, like, you can't think, oh, this is Clemson, so we got to do this, this, and this. Like, no, you have to play it 
and approach it the same way you approach any other opponent. And you have to study them the same way you study anybody else. I, I talked about the OC changes, Caleb. Talk about Thomas Brown. He was brought in last year, and I think you saw the the running back position really flourish. Listen, was it all him? I'm not sure. That 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 position I think just got better and better and better, but I think he certainly had an impact on the running back room. And obviously he's with the Rams now. So I mean we know he yeah. is a he is a very, very good young coach. But just talk about right. Thomas Brown, him as a person, him as a coach and the impact that he got he had on you guys last season. Um actually T B was uh, my running back coach at Wisconsin. Oh wow year. nice. Yeah nice. like he came in my <laughs> freshman year. Um but I think it's just you know, transitioning from, I think it's almost like they go hand in hand. Like when it comes from Bentley, he was way, way more classroom oriented. And Bentley is like, he's of course a great coach, but it's different when you're getting coached from somebody who, you know, actually played a position. So it's like, you get a little bit of a different, you get, you get more gems. So you take all the gems you learned from, from Bentley that we had, and then you take all the gems that you get from TV and then you end up becoming like the ultimate running back. You get everything that you need. And it's almost like you can't, it really doesn't get any better than that. Like just going from Bentley to TB, like having both of them mm-hmm. in that same room over that two-year span, it was just one of those things where it's like it was like a true, like it was truly a blessing. Even if you felt as though you know they were uncertain, like a lot of guys were uncertain about TB just because you know it's a new coach and they were used to Bentley. Um, but when he came in, he gave us more of an aspect of you know being in the NFL, being actually in it, and you know giving us you know how they look at things in the league, how they look at things you know from a first-hand account, and like his knowledge and his playing experience, taking it and applying it to the field and things that we do in the field, I think it mm-hmm. it just kind of took us up that extra notch collectively as a group. Mm-hmm. Now, Caleb, I know there's been a lot of challenges as far as 2020 has just been a crazy year. I mean, it's been madness mm-hmm. with the pandemic and everything going down. Um, you're obviously a guy, you're trying to try your hand at the NFL. I know I went to your Twitter page and you have uh, – you have your pin tweet, basically all your measurables, everything for the NFL draft, stuff like that. You were unable mm-hmm. to do a pro day, I know, because of the pandemic. Everybody had that taken away. Just talk about the challenges of that, man, trying to play, trying to get a job, basically trying to play professional football, yeah. um, and all this madness is going on. This is just it's all over the place. You honestly got to take it a day at a time. And um, just uh, the, way it, it trans- like, the way it just happened, it happened so fast. It was almost like we were preparing for a pro day. Mm-hmm. And I think I want to say maybe five days to a week before the pro day. Mm-hmm. You know, you when you're training for that, you have to train week by week by week. Mm-hmm. So it's like everything lines up to like so you're ready for the pro day. Then you get there and you're ready, and then you know you get a text saying you okay, we're not gonna have a pro day. <laughs> so it was kind of like one of those things where it was mentally like it threw us off. Um, you know, you kind of feel like okay, so what do you do now? Um, but we ended up getting with um one of the strength coaches, um Sal or Scott Salwasser. Um, and he basically filmed me and a couple other guys just doing like a virtual pro day mm-hmm. so that we have something on tape. You know, we prepare for that day. So it was like, we still need to go ahead and go through it, through with it as if we have a pro day. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, it's better than nothing. Like at least, uh, if we send this out or whatever, you know, you have somebody who can see it. it's something on you versus having nothing. So we did that. Um, it definitely didn't feel the same, but, um, it is one of those things you just got to do it and you have to you know, adjust with whatever it's throwing at you, especially with like the, um, after the draft, mm-hmm. that's probably the weirdest thing because <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. You kind of got to, you got to wait for a call. You have to, you know, reach out to different people in a different way. A lot of the scouts, they didn't kind of trust the validity of, you know, virtual pro days because you had other guys who were saying they're running four twos and, and four threes. <laughs> and it's like, you look, if you look at the, their tape and you, hold a stopwatch next to it, you run a four five. <laughs> so it's like, 
they were questioning it, like the validity of it. So that kind of hurt a lot of the guys mm-hmm. who ran a legit time. Because even if I didn't, you know, they feel it probably feels okay. You probably didn't run a four three or something like that. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like it throws everything off of you. But um, it's just one of the things you just gotta adjust and right. figure it out as you're going along. Yeah, it's it's been pure madness. I know. I mean, I, I'm really excited to, you know, Caleb, get your perspective on everything as far as the the Gamecocks program going into this year. Um, again, 2020s madness. We all know that it's changed the schedule. There is no Carolina Clemson game this year. It's a 10 game SEC schedule. Obviously, we're just we're all really just keeping our fingers crossed that football is going to happen. I think it will. I think we'll be okay. But again, it, it's it's craziness. And now you have this 10 game SEC schedule, no conference games. But I want to ask you bigger picture, just about the trajectory of the program, the way the program's moving. Listen, 2019 wasn't your year. Injuries happened. The, the perfect storm hit, and you have a four win season. But you know, I don't think there's any debating that there's talent on this roster, for sure. I think there's talent all over this roster. Just give your overall take, your overall perspective, you know, on the trajectory of the program. Will Muschamp going into year five, you know, you bring in some really talented guys, like I mentioned, Marshawn Lloyd earlier, Jordan Birch. Uh, you're bringing some of these really talented guys on campus. You just got a five-star quarterback commit, Gunner Stockton, for the 2022 class. So, I think things are trending positively in that regard. Just give your overall take on the state of the program. Um, I think it's just it's one of those things where we've always been in a good um, state for the most part. It's just one of those things where we just had a lot of unfortunate events that mm. throw us off. Uh, we always have talent. Um, the biggest thing is just making sure that, like, we have, like, just basically the pieces come together. More so offensively. Defensively, we've always been able to have everything mm. come together pretty well. Um, but, you know, we've been through – this is our third offensive coordinator, you know, in this program. Mm. So it's kind of like just making sure that everything comes together smoothly um, and that you have the – the right players for the scheme that you have. Um, but overall, with the amount of talent and then the, especially the amount of knowledge that these coaches have, like they have tremendous knowledge, Like especially like like when you got much champ ahead of your defense, that's you're going to have one of the best defenses you can have. <laughs> so between that and then I don't know anything about um, Coach Bobo. Um, I've seen, you know, nothing but positive things about him. But um, just as far as everything coming together, that's the main thing and staying healthy. But I think it's going to be on an upward trend. Do you have any funny Muschamp stories from your time at Carolina? You can tell him the air. I know he's a fire. I know he's a. I know he's a fiery guy, man. I know he gets after. And he. I, I love he's. He's wearing the shirts with like he writes on in yeah. Sharpie, match me, and he. You know he's he's he got his little slogans and sayings. Right. He, likes to crack, he likes to cut up with the media every now and then. I know he likes to cut up with players. We had AJ Turner on saying that he was. You know they'd always jab back and forth. And the funniest thing I heard, he told me he, he told Muschamp he looks like Fred Flintstone, which is just hilarious because I, <laughs> I never thought about it. And then I'm like, wait, he actually kind of does look like him. But is there anything that sticks out, like I said, that you can tell in the airwaves without getting in trouble just about, you know, being around Coach Muschamp? Just, I don't know, Muschamp's one of those guys where he's like, it's funny. It, like the things that he say, like they're funny because it's like you don't expect him to say it. And it's like, right. it, like he's so – if you don't know him, he's so stern. And he comes off as stern and just – not cracking a smile and like all business. Mm. And it's like, he'll be in one of those, like he'll look like that in his face and he'll just say something funny for no reason. <laughs> or he will just poke, like poke fun at somebody or like whenever we will be in a team meeting, sometimes somebody have a bad play between him and Hudson and T-Rob, they just start going in or whoever it is that makes a mistake, but it'll be some of the funniest things. But now nah, he just, he is much more fun and more fun loving than you think he is just looking at him. Cause everybody thinks he's such a stickler. I'm like, nah, like he, he's actually cool. Yeah, he, he's not quite like the gifts we all see on social media of him like losing his yeah, mind. Yeah, like you think he's just yeah, especially when nice. he was in Florida. Yeah, I, I think he's done a good job at South Carolina not uh, 
not going viral for the wrong <laughs> wrong reasons. Right. No, nah, he still loses his mind, but it, it's funny now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. So no, for sure. So, Kayla, I'm going to get you out of here again. I appreciate your time. But last thing, when you look back on your South Carolina career, you don't have to pick one because I'm sure there's many, but things that stick out, some of your favorite memories, whether it be on the field, off the field, certain games. I mean, listen, you were part of a lot of memorable games, the upset in Athens last year, the the monsoon game against Missouri. You know, just just talk about some of your favorite memories from your time at South Carolina. Um, I think, you know, on the football field, uh, some of our, it's just – it's so many, it's hard to kind of choose mm-hmm. from. But um, I think just the game, you know, I think when we beat Georgia in Athens, that was probably one of the biggest um, memories just because of the fact of, like, that was one of those years where we had high expectations, but we also had a lot of doubters. And then just to be able to do that, that was kind of, like, one of the biggest things for us. Um, but And then I think personally, um, probably one of the bigger games was probably just um, when we played Athens in 17 and I recovered the onside kick. Like That was kind of one mm-hmm. of the, the biggest – moments that we've had that I've had personally just being able to impact the game like that and it was it's big to me because I did it without playing running back right and it's one of those things where it's like you a lot of like the young guys they come in and they feel as though you know they're going to play running back and then they're going to do like play just that position but when you understand like the impact of special teams I think coach Hustler kind of implemented that with me and it, all of that ended up being a blessing in disguise for me yeah, I feel like South Carolina's had really good special teams since Muschamp got there, and it's it's the reason you're saying. I mean, guys that are being selfless that, you know, I think mm-hmm. A.J. Turner, who I just had on, he was a big-time special teams guy. Like, he, he right. special teams. I mean, I don't, I don't know what it was, but he was a great special teams player. So, uh, that's really good to hear. Well, Caleb, I really do appreciate the time. Like I said, I'm not going to keep you any longer. I know you're a busy guy, but thank you so much for the time. I know I can speak for all Gamecock fans, man, when I say it was a pleasure to watch you do what you did. and. Uh, you know, we're all excited and fingers crossed for football this fall, man. So, and wish you best of luck as well. I know obviously you and a bunch of other guys are kind of battling the pandemic as far as trying to get jobs and there's so much uncertainty right now. So I know all Gamecock fans, we're all rooting for you and wishing the best, but really do appreciate you taking the time, man. Would love to have you back on again soon. I appreciate you. Thank you. Perfect. He's Caleb Kinlaw. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll catch you next time on the Spurs Up Show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.